Brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. Welcome to Drop Pass Podcast, bud. The title says it all. It's once again time to start our season previews. And this week we will start with a bang since I have a loaded Atlantic Division breakdown coming for you. Like I mentioned in last week's episode, this year we are going to do things a bit differently. And by that, I mean that we will divide the 32 teams into four individual episodes instead of going over both conferences in just two separate occasions. And this way, I can fully submerge myself into each individual franchise, their off-season activity, and overall outlook for the upcoming season. So, I think this new setting will serve as well and we get informative as well as entertaining content for the next four weeks. And as I said, we will kick things off with more than likely the most intriguing division of them all, at least outlook-wise, the Atlantic Division. And next week, we will switch sides and head across the continent to take a look at the Central Division and its residents. So, pretty straightforward plan, at least in my opinion. And if you enjoy the content, make sure you drop some love for the social media channels that can be found from the episode description. And God bless. Don't forget to press the follow button on Spotify and to leave a 5-star rating for the podcast because I got over an hour worth of NHL speculation coming your way. And it will only take you about 4 seconds to accomplish that. So please go ahead and check those off the list before we blast off the intro for today. Much appreciated. So that's the raw layout, and with that said, we are ready to move on to this week's main course. So, without further ado, let's get going. boys couple weeks only remaining until the official start and we even get to take a small head start with the season previews like i said the atlantic division is the episode agenda and like every year first we are going to quickly uncover each team's previous season check the scoring leaders surprise names disappointments and of course their off-season moves and then once we have a clear scope of what has happened and where they are now we start the speculation and try to predict some outcomes concerning their upcoming hockey season. This year, I really will try to remember to pick out the scoring leaders, breakout players, as well as the hot takes for each team, but once the blood starts escaping my brain and moving towards the nether region, thanks to the new NHL season, I can't guarantee anything, but I'll do my best to not fumble the ball once the pace starts to pick up. I will leave the trophy and standing predictions until the final episode, so you will have to wait a few weeks until I give my final takes on those. But other than that, the following four episodes should provide you with enough information to get you ready for the upcoming NHL campaign. Take a comfortable position and get some snacks on your side, because we are going to be here for a while. So remember to enjoy and please Leave your thoughts down in my DMs because I'm all for one-on-one discussions. But we have a long way to go today, so let's just get down to it. The first team on the board today is going to be the Boston Bruins, who experienced a massive hit on the roster front this summer and 
As could be expected, many are wondering if this team has what it takes to remain as a playoff team once the new season kicks off, especially after seeing how the other teams inside their division have adjusted during the summer break. They won the President's Trophy this past year with a record-breaking 65-win season, which also featured 12 losses in regulation plus 5 overtime losses, so their overall point total of 135 points was also written in the history books thanks to the most dominant regular season performance in the entire NHL history. The names that left the team this offseason included Taylor Hall, Nick Foligno, Connor Clifton, Mike Riley, Thomas Nozek, their captain Patrice Bergeron and David Krejci. In addition to deadline acquisitions, Dimitri Arlov, Tyler Bertuzzi and Garnet Hathaway. So, if fans and analysts were already skeptical about their odds last year, I can confidently say that those odds haven't gotten any better after noticing the massive grocery list of departures. But, they haven't completely given up hope and have tried to replace some of the names with trades and through free agency and names that will wear the Bear jersey next year include new additions Alec Regula, Ian Mitchell, James Van Riemsdyk, Jason Megna, Kevin Shattenkirk, Morgan Geeky, Milan Lucic and Jesper Boquist. So quite clearly the pure skill level has dropped quite a bit since last year, but the Bruins have for a long time been a team known for their well-balanced and well-coached playstyle in addition to strong special teams. So. It will be interesting to see if they can patch up at least some holes during this upcoming season with these new additions. Currently they are sitting right at the cap ceiling with Alex Jason and Danton Hainen as the two PTO guys that were invited to their camp, but they have a boatload of UFAs and RFAs that are in need of new contracts once the season comes to its end. And that list includes for example names Jake DeBrusque, Matt Grizzleg, Derek Forbert and Jeremy Swayman, plus many names that were added this past summer, so the Beast front office will have their hands full throughout the next NHL campaign on that front as well. Last year they were the best defensive team by a mile and their penalty kill was best in the league as well, which was probably one of the most underrated aspects of their game, but the departures of Bergeron, Krejci and Nozek might drag those numbers down quite a bit just like their power play percentage, which was upper middle class this past year. But what is the biggest concern on their part heading into next season is without questions their center depth that was damaged to extreme, quite honestly, thanks to the departures of both Bergey and Krejci, so... Can guys like Pavel Saka and Charlie Cole carry the workload of those two next year? Is the big question, or really, we ain't even asking that because we all know the answer. And the alternative to that may be that they will be forced to act on this issue and make a big change in order to bring in a bona fide top six center at some point, like I suggested in my season preview teaser last week. But that will be easier said than done, without a doubt, despite knowing that there might be few names that could fit the script if their offer ends up being enticing enough, but in order to haul in a player of that kind, they would need to move some real assets in that trade if they really want to go for it this year. And that might end up being their only option because the options within are far and few in between to be quite frank, so their first 10 to 15 games will matter more than many might think at this stage of the year. The depth of the roster as well is somewhat questionable and honestly, the departures of the two previously mentioned gentlemen has had a bigger trickle-down effect in that than what many might have thought so. 
while they still have top-tier superstars Pasternak and Marshawn in their top six, the bottom six doesn't ooze too much confidence to me, and if and when injuries start to pile up at some point, the question becomes, who's there to step up offensively? Their decor is still strong even after Orlov's departure, but it is clear that Charlie McAvoy has to have a monster year on their back end if they want to realistically challenge for a playoff spot, because there aren't too many guys on that blue line that could put up serious offensive numbers while being responsible defensively. Maybe besides Hambus Lindholm and McAvoy's deep partner Matt Grizzly, but other than that, my thinking is that they will need to heavily lean on their defensive ability because their top six will either make them sink or swim when it comes to offensive production. And huge part of their defensive ability will also be their Vesna slash Willem M. Jennings tandem of Ulmark and Swayman, who took over the goalie stat sheet last year, but because of all the factors that I've brought up previously, I think that their numbers are bound to drop. Not too drastically, but with a way that it can be noticed. So, all in all, I'm anticipating a rough reality check for this team that just broke the NHL point and win record during the prior season. They finished the year as the second highest scoring team in the entire league while allowing the least amount of goals against, but there is no doubt about the fact that those numbers will experience some changes, and how big that change ends up being will be a question that will very much define their fate next year. But what is pretty certain is the fact that both Marchand and Pasternak are going nowhere when it comes to point production unless injuries intervene in this process. And if Pasta is able to repeat his last year's feat of passing the 100-point mark, the Bruins should at least be in the conversation when it comes to playoff spots, but the odds of that happening again next year have certainly fallen off a bit due to certain circumstantial changes. But despite that, I expect Pasta to notch the top scorer title to himself again next year. 100 dots ain't certainly out of his reach, and many guys in that locker room will have to step up offensively, like I said, if they aim to play meaningful games later on during the spring. Breakout-wise, I'm quite bullish on Morgan Geeky since now is his real chance to showcase how good of a player he can be if he gets top 9 minutes within the Bruins organization. 40 points shouldn't be that far from his reach if he continues his form from the previous season and gets the ice down with their big batters. And after all, the Bees invested quite a decent chunk in him this summer, so the expectation level more than likely is something similar in their cabinet section as well. So, since guys like Poitras and Lysel are still currently further away from an NHL role, at least what we know of, I'm willing to give him the envelope and I'll hope that he makes this opportunity count, but we'll see. At least I'm expecting more goals from him since that wrister is really underrated and I would hope to see him use it more next year. Other viable candidates for that spot are previously mentioned Poitras and Lysel, and I certainly wouldn't be that surprised to see one of those guys on their opening night roster, to be quite honest. So, if I had to throw in a dark horse name as well, I would say that it will be Lysel, because I have an inkling that he will come out the gate screaming after a season that he more than likely wants to erase from his memory, so... Those will be my two candidates for the breakout player. And lastly, when it comes to hot take. I'm feeling fancy right now, so let's just run with it. 
I'm going to say that they will package Linus Allmark to a deal that will feature some other assets as well. And they send that to retooling Winnipeg Jets and, in return, acquire Mark Shifley to lead their first line, who could hit the free agency next summer. Yep. So that will mean that Swayman will be their long-term option in net and Brandon Boosie will take his spot as their backup. And in return, the Jets get a proven starter back, hence the fact that Hellebuck will be gone by that time, so... That will be my hot take for the Beast, and like I said, it is going to be extremely interesting to see how this team will perform, because they got lots of new faces in town that are not expected to make huge changes. For example, Kevin Shattenkirk and JVR, who will patch up some holes without a doubt, but in the grand scheme of things, are quite marginal additions, so one of the most intriguing teams to follow this year without a doubt. Next we head to Buffalo, who is one of the teams that is looking to take their spot in the postseason ahead of the reigning President's Trophy winner. The Sabres took massive steps last year pretty much on all imaginable fronts as they ended up finishing their season just one point away from a playoff spot, which only sparked more interest for their following season and rightfully so because Buffalo fans haven't seen too much success in a long time, but which one of the two major sports teams will be the one to bring the championship to Buffalo streets is still the big question surrounding the two fanatic fan bases. So last year, like I mentioned, they finished just one point below Florida Panthers who got in as the final wildcard team and their total record of 42 wins, 33 losses and 7 overtime losses is one of the better ones we've seen from them for a quite a long time. They didn't lose much this offseason roster-wise since pretty much the only notable departure from the club were Vinny Hinostroza, who was on and off their lineup throughout last year, Craig Anderson, who hung up his skates, plus of course Ile Lubushkin, who was sent to Anaheim just a couple weeks back. And I don't know if their GM Kevin Adams looked at their team stats after their season was over or what, but they decided to focus on bringing more physicality to their backline, and as a result, Veteran defenseman Eric Johnson as well as Boston's wrecking ball Connor Clifton were added to their lineup when the free agency doors opened up. And what I'm exactly referring to here is the fact that the Buffalo Sabres had the second least block shots last year and they had by far the least amount of hits amongst all NHL teams. And as we know, when you add those aspects to a subpar defense, you are not necessarily considered as a playoff team and that exactly happened to be the case for them last year. Not by much, but you get the point. But the major question for the upcoming season for them is going to be, what can we expect from their tandem of Devon Levi and Ukko-Pekka Luukkonen? Or, if that ends up being their tandem after all. You could fetch a decent return from UPL, because he's still young enough, so if there ends up being available goalies on the market and Buffalo sees themselves as a cup contender, why wouldn't you act on it? Because you at least currently have the cap space to make that happen. And yeah, there's Eric Comrie in the mix as well, but more than likely those two are the ones they are going to depend on the most. We all know that if a team is really aiming to play meaningful games in the spring, goaltending has to be at least league average, and while UPL has slowly become more confident on the next level, to this day, we haven't yet seen numbers from him that would suggest that he could drag this team to a playoff berth, but who knows, maybe he has the dog in him that's been growing ever since his arrival in North America. 
Also, on top of that, we gotta remember that he hasn't been a standalone starter on the next level, so while everyone is shouting Levi's name everywhere around the social media, and for a good reason I might add, how many people are realistically expecting that he comes on the scene and absolutely takes over after just 7 NHL games and at the age of just 21 years young? Let's be honest here, even with elite defense that would be tough to do so. That's exactly why I'm not that sold on that idea. The team just showed its fangs really for the first time last year and due to some serious collapses were close to becoming a playoff team, but when you look at their current contract structure and see that pretty much 70% of their current lineup is becoming either UFAs or RFAs at the end of the next season, more than likely the original plan was to become more competitive before 2024, after which they start locking up names for the next 4-5 years, and that plan seems to be on its track still. So like I said just a minute ago, they currently would have the cap space to add names to their roster, but you also have to keep in mind that many of their young names are looking for additional dollars when the next offseason kicks off. And within that group of players, you will find names like Dalin, Power, Middlestad, Lukkonen, Jokiharju and Bryson, plus Rusek, Peterka, Johnson and Levi year after that. So as you can see, they have to negotiate deals to two of their future superstars so the cap space they currently have could shrink to bits before the season is over. And that's why it will be interesting to see how quickly GM Adams will react if they have a similar start to their season as last year. Their last campaign was very two-folded in a sense that they scored a ton of goals thanks to their up-tempo offensive playstyle and ended up finishing as the third highest scoring team in the NHL. But on the hindsight, due to their run-and-gun offense, they allowed a lot of goals against, and that is the aspect that needs to change if they intend on finishing the next season as one of the eight teams that advanced to the postseason from the Eastern Conference. So with all that said, I really hope that they get off to a good start like they did last year and avoid the collapse which has almost become their trademark once the darker months start rolling in. Because last year they were locks for the postseason before their sudden collapse and the current question marks regarding their goaltending and defense still don't create too much trust in me and I think that it still might be too soon to consider them as one of the playoff teams from the Atlantic, especially with the way their competitors have addressed their weaknesses during the offseason. I'm totally not saying that it couldn't happen, after all they weren't that far from the playoffs last year and guys that took the next step last year are again one year older so they know what is expected from them but that also might create some pressure for those players and that could have a negative impact on their game so we'll see what ends up happening once this young Sabres lineup laces up the skates for another goal at a playoff berth. But when it comes to their top score and breakout star, I think at least on the scoring department we shouldn't expect to see major changes since Tate Thompson is just coming off of a career-high 47-goal, 94-point campaign, so 50 goals and 100 dots is almost guaranteed at this point if he keeps his groove. And with that, he's the obvious choice for the leading scorer. But when it comes to breakout star, I would throw my money on somewhat of a surprise name since I believe that JJ Paterka will have a coming out party and it will not include any closets because Jack Quinn is expected to miss some time due to his injury and therefore the second line winger spot is wide open for the taking and thanks to his plus 30 point season 
I believe that he will take it to himself and finish the year with at least plus 45 points. Owen Power obviously can't be counted out from this segment either, but I feel like it will take more time for him to significantly get his point totals up. While the other really notable names that you should keep your eyes on are Yuri Coolidge, Lucas Rusek and Matthew Savoie, since any of those three names could land a spot on their opening night roster, but since we currently don't know what their roster will look like before the first puck drop, I'm going to go with more of a safe pick and go with the German Bloodhound. And you probably thought that this fucking idiot was going to leave out Devon Levi from the conversation. Nobody. That's not the case. I believe that he will have a solid rookie season between their pipes, but I also believe that many people will be taken by surprise by how tough it is for young netminders to simply walk in this league and make a stance. So I will throw a bone for you and say that he will have above 0.905 save percentage, just so that I can get you haters off my back. And like I said in the previous episode, if he ends up schooling me, I'm completely fine with that. Honestly, it would be awesome, but I like to keep things somewhat realistic in this show and therefore want to keep my expectations in check, at least when it comes to one of the best goalie prospects in the entire planet. And when it comes to hot take, I'm going to piggyback my last year's prediction and see that Rasmus Dallin breaks the 85-point mark and is amongst the Norris nominees at the end of the season. It would mean over 10-point increase to his current total, so it certainly ain't too shy of a prediction, and with that, the Sabres should have a chance of clinching a playoff spot, but we'll see what ends up actually happening. All in all, I'm excited to see if last year was just a fluke and most of their players purely overperformed. I highly doubt that. But like I mentioned in the intro section, playstyle changes ain't that easy to push through within just one season, and if they want to be one of the playoff teams, they need to be better defensively. Simple as that. And since most of their deficiencies are not attributes that highlight most of the playoff teams, I'm a bit skeptical about their chances in arguably the most competitive division in the league. At least on paper. But certainly I'm going to keep a close eye on them next year and hope that they could become the next New Jersey Devils that ends up surprising us all with their stellar performances. Next up we got the Detroit Red Wings who pretty much fit in the same category as the previously mentioned Buffalo Sabres. Last year they finished 7th in the Atlantic Division 12 points away from a playoff spot but this offseason their GM Steve Eiserman has put his head down and gotten to work in order to push this team over the edge when it comes to postseason odds. Their past year was a tale of mixed results where they struggled with scoring at times while allowing way too many goals against, but despite that many Wings fans were still disappointed when they learned that they were going to sell at the deadline instead of adding new names to their roster. And due to that decision, in the end their overall record of 35 wins, 37 losses and 10 overtime losses doesn't tell the whole story since they were in the mix until the final weeks of the regular season, but a lot has changed since the 2022-2023 season started, so let's get down to the details. For starters, they were one of the most active teams in the free agent market, and on top of that, orchestrated few big trades that were meant to strengthen the team even more. So just to conclude all the moves they made, let me list down the names that have departed from the club since their season ended. 
as well as names that have arrived to Motor City since July 1st. The departures include Alex Nedeljkovic, Jordan Osterley, Magnus Helberg, Robert Haig, Dominic Kubalik, Philip Sedina, Pius Suter, Adam Ernie, Alex J. Saan, Gustav Lindstrom, and the additions include names James Reimer, J.T. Comfer, Alex Lyon, Daniel Sprung, Justin Hall, Shane Gostisphere, Christian Fisher, Alex Debringet, and lastly, veteran defenseman Jeff Petrie. So, pretty big overhaul, and that's exactly what makes them an intriguing team to watch this upcoming season, because like we saw in Calgary, changes sometimes don't happen in a blink of an eye, and when you have this much turnover on the roster front, the expectation more often than not is that it's going to take some time before this bunch really starts to gel together. Dylan Larkin, though, continued where he left off the prior year and came close to reaching the point-per-game average, whereas both of their young superstars Lucas Raymond and Moritz Seider hit small sophomore slumps which affected team's performance to certain extent. But once Seider was paired up with last year's surprise name Jake Wallman after the failed charade experiment, the tide turned and the partnership started working according to plan. And if Seider ends up manning their first-line power play unit this year, we could end up seeing carrier-high numbers for the German two-way truck, no doubt. In addition, the Bringet should bring some added spark to their top lines, and therefore, the expectation is also that Raymond is able to bounce back and take the next step in his development, while aiming for career highs during their search for available playoff spots. Their special team units weren't anything special last year, which also reflected on their ability to score goals, which was bottom tier of the league, so... Their targets for the upcoming season are quite clear. To improve defensively and to produce more offensively, which should lead into better overall results. The Bringets addition should have a positive impact on their power play numbers at least, if he finds his elite scoring touchback and especially if his former partner in crime Patrick Kane ends up in the Wings uniform like the rumors have told us in recent days. And you also gotta remember that they added the Ghost Bear, as fans like to call him, to man their first or second line power play unit, so he pretty much will replace Philip Ronick, who was dealt to Vancouver at last year's trade deadline. But without a shadow of a doubt, the biggest worry in their game is still their defense, and some of you may also add in their goaltending as well, but I have something to say about that in a moment, so let's leave it at that for now. Because on paper, you can see that their defense has gotten slightly better from last year, but how significant the change ends up being is a completely different question, because, for example, if Sharad's game continues to regress, he could end up seeing more minutes in the press box than on the ice, because that deal at this point is almost immovable. Petrie, Hall and Ghost are additions, but come with their major weaknesses, and like you probably know if you are a frequent listener, I wasn't a huge fan of the Hall addition, but at least they have the cap space this year to afford it. So, what I would say at this point is that it's certainly good to have some insulation for injuries and some competition could enhance the performances of each player, but when talking about competitive teams and their decors, unfortunately, I can't fit words Detroit's decor and a contender team in the same sentence. And despite having fairly decent forward core, the defensive end brings down their overall outlook in my papers quite significantly, and that's why I have some concerns about their upcoming season. 
But when it comes to goaltending, I have to say that I have more confidence in it than last year, despite Reimer's horrific numbers from last year, because the fact is that Husso was overwhelmed with the amount of games he played last year since he hasn't been a standalone starter on the NHL level previously, if you count out the one season with the Blues when he stole the show from Jordan Bennington. And that started to show at the back end of the regular season, so... Now that they've added James Reimer and Alex Lyon between their pipes, I would expect to see better overall results from their netminders, but as you know, defense plays into that as well, so I might end up regretting my words when it's all said and done. So, when it comes to overall expectations, you know, I have some mixed feelings about this since I have more hope in this team than many others, I would think. And the additions they've made this year are improvements to their previous roster. But at the same time, I still don't have full confidence in this squad. And the big turnover makes me wary about the results. So I think this team still needs some time to mature and grow before we fully start to talk about a team with serious cup aspirations. Last year, Dylan Larkin took the scoring title with 79 point total from 80 games. And with the way he's been dragging up his offensive numbers, I wouldn't expect that title to change this year unless the Brinkett hits the gold vein and takes off offensively. And alongside him, Lucas Raymond takes another step in his development. But right now, I'm expecting their captain to remain as the top dog and to break the point-per-game mark this upcoming season. Breakout-wise, on paper, there's a lot to choose from, but with the way they've added names to their roster sheet, the odds for their young guns to find their spots at the opening night roster have decreased. And therefore, I have to put my trust in their former second-round selection, Jonathan Berggren, whose tires I've been pumping for some time now. He showed some glimpses of high-end skills at last year, but limited minutes and some minor injuries ended his progress. So I feel like if I had to choose one name, it has to be Berggren instead of many other great candidates, such as Söderblom, Kasper and Edvinson, who more than likely will start their seasons in their farm team Grand Rapids. Also, I wouldn't want to forget Daniel Sprong, who was brought in from Seattle because he flew under the radar for most of the season and almost reached 50 points as a middle six winger. So if he gets to play meaningful minutes and sees some power play time, I feel like he could be the name that finally makes the headlines with 50-point season. But the Wings lineup at this stage is still pretty wide open, so it's full on speculation because we don't currently know which names end up making the team ahead of the training camps. Edvinson would have been my pick for this segment, but since they've loaded their back end with more seasoned names, only way I see him sticking with the big club is if he absolutely dominates in the preseason and continues to impress in the early season. But since the odds of him making the cut straight from the camp are fairly slim, I'm going to stick with Berggren. And I would also like to give a small shout out to Carter Mazur, who could be in the mix as well if he continues to light up the AHL like he did, like he did at the end of last year. And lastly, we have the hot take, and here I'm going to go out on a limb and say that their top three scorers will have a plus 75 points each. To some, that might sound a bit unrealistic, and others might think that that's almost the expectation, but it would mean that Larkin keeps his level and finishes the year close to point per game, then the Brinket will have a real bounce back year and ends up increasing his overall totals by at least 9 points from earlier season. And on top of that, my guess would be that the third guy on the list would be Lucas Raymond, 
which would mean that he has to break his single season point record by 13 points. So it ain't unrealistic in my eyes, but a lot has to go according to plan. And every one of their guys need to stay relatively healthy to achieve that. So take it as you wish, but that would also mean that they should be amongst the teams challenging for the wildcard spots, at least in my opinion. And fuck it, might as well. Let's throw in Moritz Sider and plus 60-point campaign. There you have it. Full plate. Let's move on to Florida before I completely lose my mind. So the Panthers are coming off of a fairly eventful 22-23 season, to put it lightly, where they were the last team to make it to the playoffs, but despite that, ended up being the Cinderella story of the 2023 playoff spring. They pushed against the odds throughout the postseason and made their way all the way to the finals where they got beat by the newest NHL champion Vegas Golden Knights as we all know at this point. But despite that, we once again saw that regular season has sometimes little to do with the elimination game since teams that have the mojo coming in might take it all the way and in the process take down some big players. So despite a disappointing end result, the Cats brought some hope for their fan base that has seen their team crumble in the playoffs in previous years. So what is the outlook when heading to the 2023-2024 NHL season? Well, if you look at their last year's regular season, one would expect more out of them after such a tremendous ending to their playoff run, and I'm also on that same boat, especially when knowing the fact that the division champ Boston Bruins is more than likely going to fall down the standings following the major departures that happened within the past couple of months. Last year, the Cats finished with a record of 42 wins, 32 losses, and 8 overtime losses, and finished 17th in the league-wide standings, so if they would have been part of the Western Conference, or if the Penguins would have won their final game against the Jackets, the outcome would have been completely different. But history is already written, and that's all ifs and buts, so we will just avoid that conversation at this point. Their power play was solid last year, while overall scoring numbers weren't as good as some would have expected, and what was their biggest weakness throughout last year were their defense and goaltending which showed in their goals against that, that was from the lower end of the entire NHL. They've addressed that aspect this year, though, by bringing in lots of defensive help, but how significant that change ends up being in the wide spectrum is a totally different question, but at least when you look at their current defensive core, it looks beefed up from last year, equipped with more quantity as well as better quality. The overall turnover on the roster front was quite significant since their postseason run came to its end, especially for a team that went all the way to the finals. And the list of names that departed the club after the season was over includes names Colin White, Giovanni Smith, Alex Lyon, Radko Gudes, Anthony Duclair, Mark and Eric Stoll, plus Patrick Hörnqvist. While names that were added to replace some of those Warriors are Mark Riley, Kevin Stenland, Steven Lorenz, Anthony Stolarz, Oliver ekman Larson, Dimitri Kulikov, Nico Mikkola, Evan Rodriguez, Will Lockwood, and finally, Rasmus Asplund. So when you see that list, you clearly understand that GM Bill Zito's MO this summer was to bring in more depth, which became to be one big difference maker in their final series against the Golden Knights crew. That had what it seemed like wave after wave of players that could go against any team's first two lines. But the core stayed pretty much the same, only exception being Duclair, who became to be a cap casualty this summer. But 
What worries some Cats fans is the fact that they are going to start their season without their top two defensemen Aaron Ekblad and Brandon Montour, who are expected to miss some time from the start due to their injuries they sustained during their playoff run. And even their star player Matthew Kajak's start is in question for the same exact reason, so their situation reminds me a lot of the start the Bruins had to their 2022-2023 regular season. On top of that, the team is heading to a crossroad on the contract front since the only players signed beyond the next two years are their captain Barkov, Kachuk, new addition Evan Rodriguez, Etul Ostrinen who just signed his extension with the Cats, Niko Mikkola and Sergei Bobrovsky, while guys like Sam Reinhardt, Anton Lundell and Gustav Horsling will demand new contracts at the end of the next season. So that is going to be another aspect that we need to keep a close eye on, since this Cats team could look a hell of a different next summer when the upcoming season is all wrapped up. So the so-called current window is quickly closing down and they need to strike when the iron is still hot and a quick proficient start is vital for this team because their division is going to be extremely competitive and therefore they don't have the privilege to wander around when the action starts in just a month. But what was a key in their game last year was the fact that guys stepped up in clutch times and names such as Matthew Kitschak, Brandon Montour, Etul Ostrinen and Gustav Forsling elevated their game within the 82 games, without of course forgetting the cohesive performance their team showed in last year's postseason, but if they want to head back to the top positions in the division, their first-line center Alexander Barkov and Carter Verhege have to increase their point totals because they weren't up to par last year, and that showed in their overall offensive statistics. Another aspect that needs some clarity is their goaltending since Bob gave us a consmite-level performance in the playoffs, but during the regular season, his play was less than consistent, and part of that was also up to their less than desirable defensive play, but still, he needs to be better from the get-go if they want to challenge for the top spots this year. But even with all that said, I believe that they will improve from their previous season, because like I said, they don't have much of a choice if they want to aim for the playoffs, but in the big picture... I see their additions as very beneficial for the team, and while they still are more minor ones, they are ones that a team like Florida needs the most when looking at the rate in which players have been out of their lineup due to injuries through the past couple of seasons. Last year, Matthew Kajak took over offensively, and I'm not expecting him to give up his leading scorer status this year either, because he has really found his groove, and when it comes to breakout player, I'm going to keep my last year's nominee and say that it's finally time for Anton Lundell to take his next step offensively, because there ain't too many names that could be fits in this segment, and he already improved his defensive game last year, so the offensive numbers are probably next on the line. And while speaking of him, I'm just going to add in the fact that he is slowly becoming one of the more underrated two-way centers in the National Hockey League and could easily earn the next Alexander Barkov title as the most underrated player in the NHL, if his trajectory keeps its course. Spencer and I should also have a bounce-back season next year as well, if he's in 100% shape, while guys like Grigory Denisenko and Maki Samoskevich could jump in the mix as well, if they end up seeing real NHL minutes this upcoming season. And if I really would go for it, I would say that Evan Rodriguez is going to be the next Florida project that ends up jumping to the next level point-wise because this team has become known for their ability to turn mid-tier players into real point machines. So 
this time you get two players for the price of one, so thank you would be in place right about now. And when it comes to hot take, I'm more than likely going to infuriate some Panthers fans, but since I couldn't come up with any other reasonable option, I'm going to say it. Here goes. Brandon Montour's last season was a complete shooting star phenomenon, and he ends up returning to a sub-45 point guy this year. And I'm also going to count in the fact that he's about to miss some time due to his injury, so let's say 35 to 40 points max. Yeah, we are going to run with that. And since I want to sprinkle in some positivity as well, Evan Rodriguez to break 50-point threshold for the first time in his career. But that's all because I brought him up in the previous sentence. So like I mentioned, I expect them to be much better than last year and therefore I don't expect any dramatic results from the Pantherland, but it remains to be seen how they manage this start since it will be extremely important for them due to the nature of the current Atlantic division. Next on the board is going to be the Montreal Canadiens, and since most fans expect them to be on the bottom of the league again next year, we are not going to do a full-on x-ray on them, just to save some time since compared to their division rivals, they are still many steps behind them, and some kind of a miracle has to happen in order for them to be in the conversation for a wildcard spot during this year's regular season, so let's just do a quick run-through of their upcoming NHL campaign. So last year they finished last in the Atlantic Division and were the fifth worst team point-wise in the entire NHL, but at this point it has to be said that about 50% of their starting lineup was eating popcorn in the press box after the New Year's Eve, so I would argue that they would have finished with few more points if guys like Caulfield, Doc, Monahan, Gallagher, Gooley, and Matheson would have played more than just preseason games, but they decided to take the safe route and chose to not risk any further injuries and instead called up numerous guys from their farm team to finish their season aiming for the best lottery odds possible. So their record of 31 wins, 45 losses and 6 overtime losses isn't necessarily accurate representation of their current level at least in my opinion, but on the hindsight, I don't expect them to take home many more W's next year since the competition just inside their own division has gotten tougher, not to mention rest of the league, so it could be a year where we see them unloading more assets to contenders in order to slowly overhaul their future roster and to make most of their opportunities in the upcoming draft. The rebuild is still very much in progress and their most recent draft picks are just making their entries to the big league, so there's still a long way to go before they enter the same realm as the Wings, Sabres and even Senators, but I wouldn't be against it if they showed some resiliency next year and didn't just act as an automatic point machine for the rest of the teams in the league. But when you look at the recent transactions and see the amount of names they let go this summer, you may wonder if that is just a pipe dream and that this team will be just that when the action starts next month. Since the more notable summer departures from Montreal include Joel Edmondson, Alex Belisle, Jonathan Drouin, Denis Gurianov, Chris Tierney, Rem Pitlick, Mike Hoffman, Jeff Petrie, and Paul Byron. Meanwhile, the only names they've added to their current core include Leas Anderson, former first-round pick by the New York Rangers, Casey Desmith, and Gustav Lindstrom. And I just want to make a note that recently it's been rumored that the Habs are trying to find a new home for Desmith, who they acquired in the Carlson trade, and 
in my opinion, that's a wise decision if they end up letting him go, because anyways, he wouldn't have been their long-term option in net. So while he still has some decent trade value, I would use that to my advantage as well. So more than likely, the only piece that will remain in Montreal from that transaction is forward prospect Nathan Lagare. But he as well is still an RFA, so that's not written in stone either. So with that said, what we have here is a very young and inexperienced team that is more likely trying to learn the ropes of NHL hockey this season and therefore is not expected to make much noise on the league-wide level. They will more than likely deal away a few assets during the season, like I said, and some of the guys that might have high demands this year are left-handed defenseman Michael Matheson, who still has three more years on his contract with sub-5 million salary. Josh Anderson, who's been surrounded by trade rumors for a few years now already, but his 5.5 million contract that runs until 2027, plus his recent injury history have probably worked as a detergent for other teams on the market, but if he ends up finding some offense alongside their young top six names, he could become hot commodity at the deadline, that's for sure. And also, you have to wonder if there's any taking for their centerman Christian Dvorak, who looks like another failed draft pick experiment, but it's all speculation at this point, but that is certainly the heading I'm seeing them taking once most of the season has been played. But what is the aspect that makes this team interesting to watch this year is purely the age factor, because already last year we saw that these guys can take down some big hitters on best days, and you would be lying if you said that you weren't intrigued to see what guys like Nick Suzuki, Cole Caulfield, Kirby Doc and newly added Alex Newhook can accomplish if fully healthy and having the mojo they showed us last year. Because like I said in one of the previous episodes, this situation reminds me a lot of the ones I've experienced while playing the NHL video game, where I haul in high upside names from contending teams that don't have room in their lineup to really push all out of these young names. And last year, we already saw that former third overall pick Kirby Doc still has something to prove after a few subpar seasons with the Hawks, so it's easy to expect Newhook to follow in his footsteps and take the next step in his development this upcoming year with the Young Hab squad. And you know, I was seriously bummed out about the fact that so many young guys fell from their lineup because, for example, Doc had 38 points in 58 games until he was thrown in the IR. And pretty much same applies to Caulfield, who I expected to hit the 40-goal mark last year, was sidelined after 46 games with 26 ducks and 10 apples on his belt. So as a Habs fan, only thing that I wish for the upcoming season is that these young bucks get to play at least 65 to 70 games, because that is the best medicine in their situation. And I'm also very interested to see where we are with our 2022 first overall pick, Juraj Slavkovsky, because he also played only 39 games last year in the big league and during that stint got his fair share of welcome to the NHL kid moments. So there are many aspects that should intrigue at least some of you NHL fans this year. Big expectations for Caden Gooley as well. He's going to be their workhorse next year if fully healthy. And while Rafael Harvey Pinard could steal some spotlight to himself thanks to his last year's performance, I wouldn't line out names Misak. Rua, Mayu, and especially Farrell, because those guys could find some ice time in the bright lights if the Habs end up rotating their lineup throughout the next NHL campaign. Nick Suzuki was the leading scorer at the end of last year and by a country mile no less, and you know honestly, I think that if Caulfield would have stayed healthy, 
Suzuki would have been closer to the 75-point mark in the end. So now that I'm all excited and hopeful, I'm going to say that he reaches that total and Caulfield breaks the 40-goal mark, which he should have done already last year. He's also going to remain as my breakout candidate because I know my past and how I've been a year early with my breakout predictions. So I'm going to learn from my mistakes and not budge in this situation. But I would also like to shed some light onto Kirby Doc as well because 50 dots is almost secured at this point. So don't be surprised by that when Montreal's all top three scorers have over 50 points each. And oh yeah, almost forgot Alex Newhook plus 45 points. Take that to the bank as well. And when it comes to hot take, I'm going to say that Carey Price returns to their crease and takes them to the playoffs as a wild card team. Did you already exit? Well, good if you didn't, because there's no shot. I'm sorry for false advertising, but honestly, my hot take is going to be that Mike Matheson continues where he left off last season and breaks his last year's career high point total of 34 and adds to it at least 11 more, which eventually leads to a trade to a contending team from which the Habs get their second first-round pick for the upcoming NHL entry draft. Yeah, I know it ain't that juicy of a pick, but I pretty well covered most of the bases when it comes to the younger names of the team, and I didn't want to recycle my last year's takeoff Caulfield finishing with plus 40 goals, because... It's already out there and it's old news at this point because he's about to do it. I have mild expectations for Jure Slavkovsky as well since I didn't see much in his game last year. And like I've spoken before, European prospects take some time to adjust to North American game and especially the NHL demands. So I would be happy to see him with like 25 points this year and for him to stay healthy, of course, like most of the other guys I've already mentioned. But... I certainly ain't ready to take the shortcut and shout out that he's going to be a 40-point guy in his second season across the Atlantic Ocean. So that's about it, and this monologue about my favorite team in the NHL lasted longer than what I had expected, but oh well, the preseason is pretty much the only time I get to speculate and enjoy the setting before reality hits me in the face, so let me have my moment. We will move on soon enough, but... I fear that it's going to be a tough year for my HAP squad, but I have some reasonable hopes as well as you can see, so we'll see how the Young Bucks survive in the NHL wilderness this year. Their contract situation at least is looking good, so if nothing else, they have that going for them, but let's move on from the Quebec province. Then we got the Ottawa Senators, who were my dark horse team for last year's NHL campaign, and would you be surprised if they had that tag on them heading into this year again? Well, you have to wait a while until you hear if that is the case, but when it comes to their last year's performance, the Sens finished the year in the sixth place in the division, six points away from the Panthers who advanced to the postseason, so not too far away from the playoffs, but still, many are skeptical about this team's success, and I wouldn't blame those people because They've been at the bottom of the league for some time now, and there haven't been too many clear signs of that changing, at least with an eye test. They didn't lay on their laurels this summer, though, and made some major changes to get them over the hump next year, and the most notable departures include names such as Patrick Brown, Cam Talbot, Dylan Gambrell, Julian Gauthier, Derek Brassard, Austin Watson, 
Nick Holden, and most notably Alex DeBringat, who was dealt to their division rival Detroit Red Wings a few weeks back. In return, they added Jonas Korpisalo between their pipes with a multi-year sheet which raised some eyebrows around the league. Zach McEwen was added to their bottom six to bring some sandpaper finish to their grind lines. Dominic Kubalik arrived from Detroit for the Bringit, and finally the sense-snatched Russian free agent Vladimir Tarasenko to their lineup who had remained on the block for longer than many had anticipated beforehand. Currently, they have yet to sign their prospects Shane Pinto and Yegor Sokolov, and that could end up being more complicated than previously thought since they don't have that much cap space in their disposal because they just locked up their future top blue liner Jake Sanderson to an 8-year, 8.05 million deal, but I would be surprised if they didn't get Pinto's deal done soon enough because the training camps are already underway and because they certainly have a spot for him as their third-line center. Other than that, they don't have many contracts to worry about this year, so they can head on to the 2023-2024 season with a clear vision of finding their way to the playoffs. But, like stated multiple times before, the fight for those open playoff spots is going to be fierce this year again in the East, so they have to dig deep in order to overcome their competition in the Atlantic Division alone. Last year, they finished with a record of 39 wins, 35 losses, and 8 overtime losses, and both their goals for as well as goals against were below average, which was somewhat surprising to see when you realize that their special teams were actually upper middle class during last year's campaign. But what really held them back last year was especially their defense, and that should be universal truth at this point, but heading into this season, I have much more confidence in it than in prior seasons and therefore I would expect them to be much more competitive if most of their core players stay healthy, which has also been a problem especially on their back end. Jacob Chikrin was added to their blue line prior to the deadline and their 2025th overall pick Jake Sanderson came into the scene with extremely strong performance and at least in my opinion, was one of the more underrated rookies last year. And the main reason for that, without any tinfoil hats equipped, is the fact that he plays for the Sens who aren't liked within the league's media circles. Timis 2 had a monster year with 90 points in 78 games and with that, redeemed my preseason prediction with flying colors. Meanwhile, his line mate and team captain Brady Kajak reached the point-per-game average for the first time in his career and veteran Claude Giroux complimented the two young gentlemen with 79-point season, so some could say that he still has something to give for this young Sen squad. And after all that, this fuzzy, uncoordinated and ambiguous soup reminds me a lot of their past seasons and therefore I don't really know what to expect out of them when heading into new NHL season. They've patched some weaknesses clearly and their top guns are starting to fire on all cylinders, but still, there is just something that I can't wrap my head around that keeps me tamed regarding my final expectations. I guess constant underachieving is the root cause of that and also the injuries that have bothered, for example, Thomas Shabbat and Josh Norris within recent seasons are other factors that play a part in that without of course forgetting their constant goalie struggles that seem to continue in the nation's capitals year in and year out. So 
I guess there's enough reasons for some reasonable doubt. This summer they brought in Jonas Korpisalo with a big five times four million check, but the concerns are valid, at least in my opinion, on his part since his middle name ain't consistent and Wallace time in Jackets uniform was plagued with less than mediocre defensive course. He didn't win too many games for them on his own either, if you don't count the one magical playoff series against the Bolts, but other than that, the results are fairly mediocre and even his tremendous form in last year's playoffs came to an end against the Oilers, and it was pretty much downhill from that point on, so can the team count on him as their starter when they start to battle against their division rivals next month is my question. Well, in case you don't like the sound of that, I got a partial solution to that since they also have Anton Forsberg on their roster who dealt with injuries last year and was sidelined for a significant amount of last year's action. And because of that, doesn't probably get the recognition that he more than likely deserves, but if fully healthy, he can share the crease with his Finnish counterpart. And at that point, their leadership just has to believe in their defense to hold the fourth because that has certainly been missing from their game for multiple years at this point. Chikrin was good in his small sample size with the sense and his numbers from Arizona bring hope to me, but the big concern obviously is his health since he hasn't seen too many full seasons in the NHL recently, and while many like to hate on Thomas Shabbat, I fully believe that if he gets to play alongside a reliable defensive-minded partner and gets to focus on his offensive duties, which after all is his strong suit. He can easily notch 60 to 70 points a season, but if that partner even exists in their system is the bigger question here. And while Artem Zub is an underrated asset that they have, I don't know if he has the capacity to play against other teams' top lines night in and night out, but there are certainly worse options on offer as well, so we'll see if that ends up being their first line pairing when the action finally starts. Scoring-wise, I fully believe that they shouldn't struggle too much this year because Tutsla is the real deal and if he stays healthy, the 100-point mark shouldn't be too far away whether you believe it or not. Brady Kajak will only increase his numbers from this point on, so that same target should be in his mind as well. And while they lost some offensive firepower in the Bringet, whose last year wasn't anything magical to say the least, they still have guys like Tarasenko, Norris, Giroux, Kubalik, and very, very underrated named Drake Patterson, who should be able to fulfill that void. So that's the reason why I ain't so concerned about possible offensive struggles. Bottom six is another topic of discussion, but that can be more easily fixed than major scoring deficiencies in the top six. So, with all that said, it's time to move on to my takes before giving my final verdict. And first off, we of course have the top scorer and to surprise some of you, I'm going to predict that Prady Ketchuk will come on top this year and take their inner scoring title. I feel like now that he's witnessed what his brother's been able to do in Florida, he wants to narrow the gap between the two brothers on the points department and will take the podium when it comes to their top scorer race. Breakout-wise, I have a couple names in mind, and I'm going to go with Jake Sanderson, because he is elite. You guys who have followed the pod for some time now know exactly how big of a fan of his game I am, so 
is going to continue from where he left off last year and while there's some concerns about possible sophomore slump, I believe that he will keep the train moving based on his NHL family tree and his overall attitude, so I really hope that I don't jinx anything like I did last year when saying the same thing about Sider and Raymond. And if I had to throw another name in the hat, I would also add in Ridley Gregg as well, because he looked really good in his short stint up top, and it seems like there's an opening for him on their top nine, so I wouldn't be surprised if he ended the year with at least 30 points to his name when it's all said and done. As a hot take, I'm going to come off the top rope and say that the Saints will take the third spot in the division and advance from the very first round of the playoffs. Yeah, could you imagine? I mean, I don't know if I'm just willingly pushing their success down my throat or what the deal here is, but I just feel like they are going to take few fans by surprise thanks to their mediocre history, but while saying that, I could also easily see them absolutely bomb this year because of the reasons mentioned before, but if they get solid enough goaltending, whether it's from one of the guys or both, their defense stays healthy and is able to hold down their own end in tight games. Plus the guys up top bring the same energy as last year. I feel like there's a chance because both Forsberg and Korpi have showed that they can stop pucks like some of the best in the league on best nights. So once again, call me an idiot, but I'm going to rely on my last year's dark horse because major injuries affected the outcome more than what I had expected last year. The second to last team of this episode is none other than the Tampa Bay Lightning who ended up biting the dust in the very first round of the playoffs last spring. Vasilevsky looked like immortal human being, injuries took their toll on some of their guys, and they couldn't get everything out of their engine in that series against the Leafs that would have been needed. Some say that they just ran out of luck with scoring, but take that as you wish. They had lost some key pieces from their previous cup runs last summer, and that was once again the case this year purely due to cap reasons alone, but just like I don't like to bet against Crosby, I'm not that eager to underestimate the ball squad who took home back-to-back cups, but this year they really might have to dig deep if they want to find themselves from the postseason because they are running with very slim depth compared to the rosters they operated with during their back-to-back cup runs. They finished the year with 46-30-6 record, which was third best in the Atlantic Division and 13th overall in the entire league. And their play fluctuated more than in previous seasons, which caused some doubt in some fans around the league regarding their playoff odds. But just like custom, their power play was one of the best in the league and got them those ever-precious extra points during the tight games of the regular season. But due to their first-round exit and another batch of losses on the roster front, something that we might end up seeing them miss the postseason this time around completely, but... I would still like to push the brakes on that a bit and analyze the situation a bit more so. Let's start to look at what has happened and what the future might hold for this organization. So contract-wise, they are in pretty good hands for now if the cap ceiling gets dragged up a bit since the only guy in need of a new sheet is their captain Steven Stamkos who might want to add a few more dollars to his current paycheck. But other than that, most of their core is locked up until 2025 at least, and partially due to it, some of their core pieces from their previous cup runs have had to press the eject button, and that usually is the end result of highly successful cup runs. 
So the overall turnover has been quite tremendous ever since the 28th of June when they sent Ross Colton to Colorado for a draft pick. And after him, names such as Corey Perry, Ian Cole, Alex Killorn, Pat Maroon and Pierre-Edouard Bellamere have jettisoned from the Sunshine State. While the arrivals have included names Connor Sheary, Josh Archibald, Luke Glendening, Jonas Johansson, Logan Brown, Calvin DeHaan and Austin Watson who was signed to a PTO very recently. So straight away you can clearly notice that they've lost a great amount of depth from their roster and that's exactly what has brought some worry to their fan base this summer since that was one of their key components during their cup runs. And just in two years, the team has turned from a four-line juggernaut to a top-heavy team that still wants to play an up-tempo game, which has become their trademark in the current day with their leftover guys. Their backline has also experienced some hits, but still, Victor Hedman is one of the best blue-liners in the league, even how badly some of you might want to argue otherwise. Just check the series against the Leafs and notice how dramatically their play changed when he wasn't on their first pairing. And even if his level of play would have decreased from his Norris days, Mihal Sergachev has narrowed down the gap between the two at least offensively, and him becoming their top offensive weapon on their blue line has relieved some of the pressure off of Hedman's shoulders, which has been great for them in the big picture. But like I said, they are in desperate need for some defensive help despite having those two guys to lead their decor. Since even though Eric Chernock is a tremendous defensive defenseman and Nick Perbix has become another masterpiece of Tampa Bay's prospect product line, they still lack cup contender depth and puck moving ability and that showed quite tremendously in their first round series against the Leafs just this past year. And that result has also brought up the debate about Vasilevsky and his possible downtrend. And honestly, I think even he knows that he wasn't that good in this year's playoffs. But on the hindsight, he didn't have as strong of a decor in front of him than years past. So I think there's two sides to the coin, so to say, in this case. But regardless of that, he's still in my eyes one of the best netminders in the league and has to be better next year if the Bulls want to see the playoffs at the end of 82 games. And what has become almost custom to them is the fact that they've been pretty much able to just cruise through the regular season without too much of a panic, but already last year some thought that they were going to miss the playoffs due to some lapses in overall performance and consistency, but thanks to their top guns, they were able to quite easily make their way to the postseason, but that might not be that easy this time around, as young and hungry teams breathe down their neck throughout next year. Their center depth is still elite, given that they have the privilege to even play Stammer on either wing, so that should tell you something, but while they still might have names on their bottom six, in my mind, they can't rely on them bringing much offensively, because most of their depth guys are known for their defensive acumen, and that could lead to a complete tactical change this upcoming season if their up-tempo, high-pressure game isn't something that is a fit with their new additions. They've also been linked to Casey Desmith recently, who I mentioned earlier on in this episode, and if they can bring him to Tampa, it would be a lottery win for them, since I don't believe many of you realistically think that Jonas Johansson could take on the backup duties this year while keeping in mind that their management would more than likely want to see Vasi resting more games just in order to keep him more fresh for their possible postseason run. So, with 
all that in mind, I still wouldn't count them out even after so many significant losses because their top six and especially power play are top tier in the league. And that alone can lead you to the postseason if you get strong enough defense and goaltending within 82 game span. So I still think that this team can find their way to the playoffs, but after that, it's a whole nother ball game like we just saw this past year. Nikita Kucherov made a strong return to a full 82 campaign and finished the year with 113 points to his name, but what was surprising was the fact that he only had 30 goals, so I'm anticipating him to reach similar numbers again next year if he ends up staying healthy, but if not, Braden Point will take home the scoring title with his first plus 100-point season. And when it comes to breakout player, I'm going to nominate once again Alex Barre-Boulet for that spot because he was lights out in the AHL last year and in my mind has to be on their lineup when the action starts because he's been waiting for his chance for some time now and in my honest opinion would be the guy that could take on a scoring role on their lineup right from the first puck drop. The other options for individual breakthroughs are Gage Gonzalez and Michael Esimon, but I feel like Barry Boulay has the inside track to their top nine thanks to his performances with their farm team Syracuse Crunch. So Gonzalez will just be my undercover pick because once the injuries start to pile up yet again, I expect him being one of the first names that gets to show his fangs on the NHL level. So that's pretty much the layout. Lots of question marks in the air currently and the injury bug is really something they need to fear this year because they don't have that much additional firepower in their disposal anymore. And one of the burning questions will be, who is going to replace Killorn on their second line who just registered a career high numbers? And oh yeah, almost forgot the hot take. I mean, this might not be that hot of a take when you consider all the red flags that they are currently carrying, but as a hot take, I'm going to say that they missed the playoffs completely. Yeah, after all that backpedaling. But you gotta remember that this is a hot take and the official predictions are coming in a few weeks, so I still have some time to marinate the idea, but just in case I end up holding on to this thought, I will add in a mixer as well. Barry Boulay, 40 points. Yep, this thing is starting to go off the rails, so let's just head to our final destination of this week's episode, and that team ends up being the one that some of you may have been waiting for way too long already, and it is of course our beloved Toronto Maple Leafs. So the Leafs finally beat the first round demon, but very soon after that, were taken to the school by the Florida Panthers during the second round. They made a lot of changes since their playoff run came to its end, which wasn't that surprising given their investments at the deadline. And since the jury is still out there, whether the new additions have made them better or if their latest departures have decreased their odds for Stanley Cup run, you and I need to dig a bit deeper into this aspect. So let's check who they brought in and which names have changed the zip code. The most notable departures from Toronto include names Michael Bunting, Justin Hall, Alex Kerford, Victor Mete, and Jordy Ben, plus Deadline Reynolds, Luke Shen, Ryan O'Reilly, Eric Gustafson, and Nola Chari. While the new faces in town are John Klingberg, Ryan Reeves, Tyler Bertuzzi, Max Domi, Dylan Gambrell, Martin Jones, and Simon Benoit, plus Noah Gregor, who was signed to a PTO just a couple days ago. 
So right away you notice that they've lost some significant names from their playoff run and like I said that was expected given their cap situation but on that same breath I also must acknowledge that they've also brought in some interesting names that could end up staying in Toronto beyond this upcoming NHL season if their cap situation allows that to happen. Last year they finished the regular season 24 points behind Boston with a record of 52 wins, 21 losses and 11 overtime losses. And with that, took the fifth place in the league, which meant that they had the home ice advantage for the playoffs. But soon after eliminating the Bulls from the cup race, they were manhandled by the Florida Panthers, like I said, which showed once again that they were still quite a ways away from actually hoisting the cup. And as you know, for some time now, the playoffs has been the only thing that matters anymore in the city of Toronto because they've shown that they can be one of the top teams consistently during the regular season. But once the Hunger Games start in the spring, they just lack something from their game that could get them past the first obstacles that are thrown in front of them in the postseason. Arguably, their last year's roster was, at least in my opinion, the strongest they've assembled in years. And I think I am the only one to think that way. And exactly for that reason, many expected it to be the year when they finally make a deep push in the playoffs. And with that, would bring more hope for their fan base that has been torturing themselves by supporting this team. But once again, their team let them down, which brings us to my next point. Have they done enough to keep this trend moving along this year? In my opinion, at least regular season-wise, yes, they should be one of the top teams in the East again because they still have the elite firepower up front. And Ilya Samsonov showed us last year that he can carry the starter role in Toronto. So, in my view, things haven't changed too drastically from years past and the additions they've made this year, at least to a certain extent, should plug up some weaknesses that they battled with during their previous runs. One of them being physicality, which has been something that's been missing from their game for some time now, because they focused on being a fast and an elusive offensive-oriented team, but this summer they brought in more sandpaper to their roster, which should bring more edge to their overall game. Tyler Bertuzzi especially is a player that I'm going to keep my eyes on since he was tremendous after getting shipped to Boston and really got to showcase his multidimensional offensive game. But if he can stay healthy, he provides very little upside for the team and that is the biggest concern on his part, which begs the question, can he replace Michael Bunning in their top six? Another intriguing name in regards to their recent additions is John Klingberg, who was one of the main talking points in the first free agency episode. And the main reason for that was the fact that his last year was statistically one of the worst in his career. And since we all know that Toronto has struggled to keep their neck clean at times, it makes me wonder if he ends up being a net gain or loss for them when it's all said and done. Certainly when it comes to his puck-moving ability, he's a big step up compared to Justin Hall and will be a big add for their power play, but since he's considered as a somewhat of a defensive liability, I'm not that sure if he really was the guy they needed, because you got away in the pros and cons, and in my mind, while needing the puck-moving ability to their back end, their bigger need was defensive prowess instead of more offensive firepower, so it will be interesting to see how he fits in that equation eventually. And to me, 
One of the bigger question marks in regards to their upcoming season is the overall health since last year they battled with some significant injuries, especially on the back end. So while a guy like Klingberg could replace Riley on many instances, it becomes a totally different equation if two or even three guys fall from their back end in the midst of the regular season. So quite literally, the same issues still surround this team despite the changes. And another factor in play is also their contract situation since many guys from their roster will become free agents this upcoming summer. William Nylander in the forefront. So if they fail to achieve anything spectacular this season, what kind of a turnover could we end up seeing once GM Tree Living starts to assemble the team for another go around? So... It feels like I'm beating a dead horse here since despite these concerns, this team is more than likely going to be one of the 16 teams that will go at it for the Stanley Cup after 82 games. So it kind of feels unnecessary to really split open their whole case because like I said in the beginning, the starting point is fairly similar to previous years with few minor tweaks. So the playoffs are still the only thing that counts. But if I now had to tell you if this team would be my cup favorite, I would certainly say no because we just once again saw how dominant the stacked Vegas team was. And since this Leafs team more than likely isn't going to feature as stacked quad as last year, their odds in my book have trickled down a bit, but regular season-wise they are going to be solid. There's no questions about that. Scoring-wise, Monitor took the top spot last year with tremendous 99-point campaign, and I would be shocked if Matthews wouldn't hit the 50-goal mark again next year, so he will be my pick for the scoring leader for this team. And when it comes to my breakup pick, it's going to be pretty obvious. Matthew Nice, easy pickings all the way. There ain't too many candidates for this spot, and thanks to his good performance in his short stint, I'm willing to believe that if there are any openings on their top six, he will be the guy that gets the call, so he will be my pick for the breakout player. And a plus 35-point season wouldn't surprise me one bit, but we'll see if he ends up getting the minutes to make that happen. And then we've arrived to the final hot take of our this week's episode, and it goes like this. Leaf struggle through the regular season due to injuries and underwhelming play, and right at the finish line, they get beaten by one of the upcoming teams in their division and they fail to make the playoffs completely. Yeah, talk about Leafs hatred. No, but seriously, I think no one is expecting that to happen and the only big team likely to experience the downward spiral is expected to be the Bruins. But like I said, this team saw a big turnover this summer front office as well as player-wise, so... While Sheldon Keefe is still standing behind their bench, we've seen that he ain't Superman either, and we've also witnessed Sansana melting previously, so I think we are still dealing with the hint of reality with this, and with that, I will conclude the first season preview episode of this NHL season. I would be very intrigued to hear your thoughts first and foremost about the new structure, because my initial thought was just that, well, now at least I get to go more in-depth with each team since I don't have to fit 16 teams into one hour slot, but bullshit. I end up rambling over an hour while just focusing on eight teams, so let me know how did you feel about it. And second of all, what do you think about my takes and what teams do you see making the playoffs from this division at the end of 82 games? Honestly, 
I didn't expect this episode to be this long, so I really hope that you enjoyed, because otherwise this must have been straight up torture to you. And for that reason, we are going to sign off for today, just so that I have enough time to recover until we go again with the Central Division. I put a lot of effort into making this episode, so if you enjoyed, I would really appreciate if you left a rating for the podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcast and left some love for the social media pages, because in return, I guarantee you that I will bring the same energy to the rest of the divisions as well, so you will be treated with lots of NHL speculation in the coming weeks as well. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Hopefully this starts to get you hyped up about the upcoming NHL season. And as I said in the beginning, I'm going to withhold the standings predictions until the final episode to marinate my thoughts on Marcus. Then the roster should be pretty finalized. And since I can't predict any injuries, that's what I have to go with. And a lot can change within four weeks. So at least come back then to hear my final takes if we ended up covering your favorite team in this episode. But now it's my time to sign off once again. Thanks for joining me. I hope you enjoyed. Have an awesome week, you beauty. Stay tuned. Stay safe. Until next time. Alright.